Welcome to the Triscoll Podcast. We are three druids gathered in a virtual grove to share our thoughts and our path with you. Hi, welcome to episode eight of the Triscoll Podcast. If you are a new listener, welcome to our podcast. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for coming back. So today we are going to talk about the spirits of inspiration. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Drum? I'm Drum. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Amber, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Victoria, and my pronouns are she and her. So today we're talking about the spirits of inspiration. Uh, for those of you who don't know, or maybe the first time that this is the first time you're listening, uh, all the three of us have a tradition called Andreak Fein in common. Um, most of us also participate in other traditions, but we tend to focus around this one because we all work in that paradigm. And in that paradigm, as part of a ritual, uh, sometimes people will call upon the spirits of inspiration. And the general idea for that in the ritual is that it's good to have a little bit of divine inspiration upon your voice, upon your words. And so we're going to talk a little bit today about what the spirits of inspiration mean to us, how we practice, who we tend to call upon as spirits of inspiration, and just sort of some general comparison with some other uh, concepts of inspiration that are in Druidry, both in ADF as well as in other traditions. So why don't we get started with who are the spirits of inspiration? What are the spirits of inspiration? Why are the spirits of inspiration? Drum, Amber? Let's say drum, tiger it. Okay, I'll start it off. Um, I've always had a, a soft spot or for the spirits of inspiration because I think that they... Um, you know, in, in ADF right, we call to the Earth Mother first, and then we, we call to the Spirits of Inspiration. Um, and what's important about that is I think it it's, it's helps set us up for, you know, thinking well and speaking well and expressing ourselves well. And to do that, we call, you know, we call out for some external help to do that. Um, What's interesting to me about the spirits of inspiration is that in some cases they actually are, uh, you know, just spirits, and in other cases they are, you know, what I consider deities or or something more than just um, a general spirit. So that's that's how I look at it. I think they're I think it's really important to help us express ourselves, or at least to work within that paradigm. Mm -hmm. I know for me, uh, when I, I like calling to the spirits of inspiration, um, it is an optional component of our ritual structure, but what, especially when I'm working in a Welsh paradigm that it's, or with the Welsh pantheon group, pantheon is such a weird word, group of deities, um, because one of the Welsh deities that I worship and work closely with is Catherine, um, Taliesin, is a very obvious sort of choice for uh, someone who can is divinely inspired, who can divinely inspire. And I will often call to him to help with my words. Um, I do so much less when I am working within the Norse paradigm uh, because there's Bragi, so there's definitely uh, a deity. There are spirits of inspiration at varying levels 
at varying parts of the Norse uh, mythologies, but it was never one, like, I don't know, it just didn't quite connect as much for me. I, I can see that. I mean, I work in most often the, the Greek hearth culture, the Greek pantheon, um, and the Greeks approach to inspiration is a little bit different than a lot of other cultures. There isn't a single deity necessarily that acts as that. There's instead the, the category of the muses, which is a whole group of beings that had these individual roles that they played. Um, so there's, you know, essentially a muse responsible for poetry and a muse responsible for music and, and those things. So I think it's a little bit different in the Greek pantheon. Um, so typically I also don't call upon them in my ritual, but if I'm trying to write something or, or um, be creative in some way, I do tend to call to that specific being that would oversee that area of work, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do, I do find when I'm working in a sort of more generic space, because some of the rituals that I write and some of the workings that I do are mainly with the deities of my hearth. And of deities and spirits and beings and they're not all deities and so in those cases i will call to a more generic spirits of inspiration knowing that there are spirits who will come and inspire me and aid my words i do a lot of my rituals extemporaneously so um which is hilarious because on the wall behind my altar is actually the printout of a ritual script that i wrote um, and made a video of that was the minimalist core order. And I never took the script down after I made the video, but I never refer to it. Yeah, I like the idea. I mean, in recent work that I've done with the Hellenic Pantheon, um, the muses have come back into, into kind of the foreground for me. Uh, but I've always, as a, I consider myself a poet, and I, as, as a poet, I've always felt inspired by a muse or the muse and uh, you know sometimes that muse is sometimes that muse is a uh, is a person sometimes that muse is this spirit and I, I I do I really do believe that they are effective in inspiring a person that it's this external thing that kind of comes in kind of comes into play and, and it, while it is an optional thing I do find when I'm doing a non-specific hearth uh, right, which I do a lot of times, that it is the spirits of inspiration, uh, not not named specifically, but um, when they can be named, I find that it's a very powerful experience. So, when you call to name the spirits of inspiration, who do you call to? Like the named spirits. If you, uh, if like, you were to call a name for a spirit of inspiration. Um. I, I guess it would depend on actually the work that I was that I was doing. Um, in, in, I, I if I'm working in an Irish hearth culture, um, I will call to Breej uh, as the spirit of inspiration, uh, especially one that uh, I feel inspires poetry. Uh, so that's that's one that I would typically call to. Um, and then if I'm working within the um, with a Hellenic order, then I would probably name name them, uh, but it's Breege more often than not. I in my daily workings, I always call to Breege. So, in my daily workings, I generally just call for the spirits of inspiration, whichever spirits decide to inspire me. 
Um, certainly when I'm writing prayers and rituals, a lot of that feels not quite channeled, but certainly divinely inspired. And I rarely will call to a specific being to bless the work. Um, the exception being if I'm writing a prayer to a specific deity that I have a relationship with, then I will often ask them to, to help me write something that will please them because they know better than I do what will please them. And so, but when I am working, again, I'll work, if I'm working in the Welsh paradigm, I will call to Taliesin. If I'm working in the Norse paradigm, I will, if I call spirits of inspiration, I will call to Fagi. Um, but there's, it is an optional part to our ritual. So it's not like it, it happens every time. And certainly our rites that we do privately are not required to st stick to that structure in any way, shape or form. So, so what is it do you think um, that spirits of inspiration bring to the work? We've touched on this a little bit here and there, but I just kind of want to sort of sum it up a bit uh, in a conversation. You brought up a good point, or an, I think an important point just a few moments ago about um, when I'm creating a piece of work and especially if it's focused on a particular deity, I really do feel that it flows, that it's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm the banks and it's the stream. And so I really feel that that stream kind of flows through me and I'm just the transcriber. Uh, so I think that the spirits of inspiration really help that um, me be a good, a good bank and let that, that water flow. Um, because uh, there are times where I just I start to write and then I, f I finish writing and it's there. And I mean, I do go back over it and look at it again, but I think fundamentally, oftentimes the, the bulk of the work is already there. And I think that it's, you know, channeled by those spirits or spirit. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that um, the, the gifts essentially that we get from them are, are kind of twofold. I mean, they are that they help attune us to into whatever energy it is that gives us that creativity. Um, but they can also help us with um, things like performance and those um, not, not all of us are natural performers and, and ADF has got a big um, emphasis on things like public rituals. And I mean, not everyone's comfortable getting out on stage and being like, Hey, look at me. And so sometimes calling upon a spirit of inspiration can help empower you to be able to perform in a way that you wouldn't normally feel comfortable doing so. So an interesting uh, sort of spin off of that, I, I happen to be one of those people that generally are comfortable getting out and performing. But uh, I was working with a young woman who was giving her talk for the first time in front of a very large audience. Um, and it was going to be videotaped and live streamed and potentially millions of people could see this thing. I believe in the end, it was a few hundred thousand people that actually watched it. Um, and she was incredibly nervous about doing this. She, she'd never done anything like this before. And so I taught her the Wonder Woman's dance. And we'll inject a picture into the video for you to see what this Wonder Woman's dance is. But it's basically this dance that you see in the comic books and it happened a couple times in the movie where Wonder Woman stands with her legs slightly apart and her hips are kimbo and her head back and it's this very strong and powerful stance. 
And if you stand there for a few minutes and you sort of invoke that essence, uh, we won't even get into the whole pop culture deity concept thing here, but just invoking that essence that, that whatever it is, that spirit, that egregore, that, that thing that all of these people who have watched Wonder Woman or read Wonder Woman have poured into that, that character, pull that into your body for just a few minutes. It can really lift you up and give you that confidence. And later, um, I actually just talked to that young woman. So this particular incident happened about um, a year and a half ago. And I just talked to her a couple months ago and she actually brought that up. That was such a memorable thing because I had given her such a powerful tool in just the idea of invoking this, this strong female character uh, that she remembered it and still remembered it. And that is just such an incredible experience. And it's a way that we can invite spirits of inspiration. And, and as we've said before, the spirits don't have to be deities. They can just be spirits. Whether they are something out of your mind, something out of somebody's book, a character out of a book that you really admire the way they've approached a certain topic. Uh, it could be an ancestor. I will often call upon my grandfather and my grandmother, my great-grandmother, to, uh, to help inspire me when I'm getting into tough business situations because of who they were and how they interacted and just the kind of strength that they had in those kinds of communications. And so you can, you can call upon anyone, anything for inspiration that has that trigger in your mind and that association in your mind. It doesn't have to be a deity who is traditionally for inspiration. It's a really interesting concept because I mean, in, in an ADF context, typically when we speak of the spirits of inspiration, we're talking specifically about bardic inspiration. So writing, performing, singing, those types of things. I mean, ritual is a form of, of bardic art. It's, it's speaking in public. And so typically when we talk about the spirits of inspiration, that's what comes to mind is, is that bardic inspiration. So calling upon ancestors to inspire your work in other areas is, is something that's really interesting. I've never considered that. But also think about the ancient bards, right? The stories that we have of them, they were, they were the storytellers, they were the performers, but they were also the people who carried the news and helped spread the information. And I could very much imagine, I mean, you see the stories of old jesters, you know, the old stories of jesters, not stories of old jesters. <laughs> I don't know what it is. With walkers, it's great. However, um, where the jesters were also advisors to the king. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you have these individuals who, and there's stories of the druids being advisors to the, the rulers of the different tribes. It's not limited to songs and verse. Your words carry so much strength and so much power, no matter what you're doing. I had a conversation today with someone who expressed a struggle with a thing at work. And by simply being able to express the fact that I had that same struggle made them feel better. My words had a healing effect. 
and there was no poetry. There was a few curse words actually, because we were, there was a little venting going on maybe. <laughs> it's my favorite kind of poetry. <laughs> but it, like, it's still words. And for me, it's that performance aspect of inspiration. It's the words, it's the body language, it's the how you engage, how you read the room, how you adjust for the room. Those are all things a performer learns how to do. Those are all things that inspiration can help us with. That's a, that's a really good point. I know that when I'm, um, when I'm doing a, a workshop or a ritual and there's, um, there's always this moment of kind of indecision, at least for myself when we, when these things begin, because it's, you know, how's this going to go? And oftentimes in looking at the, uh, in, from a very practical standpoint and looking at the reactions on faces of people, it does inspire in a certain way, uh, just because you can see that there's, you've made a connection with some people uh, in the audience and that really helps. When I'm in a really tough spot um, where I'm, um, my bardic performances are more spoken uh, and rarely sung, but there are occasions where I do sing and um, that's a tough one for me. And so I take a deep breath. I, you know, I basically breathe that inspiration in to kind of bolster me a little bit to do that. So in a way, I think that inhalation, uh, you know, brings the spirits into me uh, and, and, you know, helps me out or at least helps me survive till the end of my work. Um, so well, if you go with the more ceremonial associations of air as communication, it really does kind of tie it all together, right? You're taking in that deep breath of that communication and that inspiration to, to share it. Absolutely. I mean, admittedly, working with the, uh, the spirits of inspiration is probably something I need to be better at, purely because I am not, I, I don't love public speaking. Like, it makes me really uncomfortable. I hate doing public rituals. I know that it's a big, important thing, but it, I get so nervous. And I turn, even talking about it, you can see it if you're watching. Like, I turn funny colors and... <laughs> You know, I get all splotchy and weird looking and then I'm like, people are going to hate me. This is a waste of everybody's time. And I really beat myself up. I'm really, really don't like it. And so there have been moments where I can talk myself out of doing things. I mean, even this podcast was not my idea. Let's start with that. You know, I, I couldn't do this with just anybody. You know, it took two people that I trust a lot for me to be comfortable sitting in front of a camera, having a conversation because people are going to see it and they may think poorly of me. So I think that working with the spirits of inspiration is something that can be done to kind of help some of that. I mean, some of it could just be like, Amber, get over yourself, but, you know. But who's to say that working with the spirits of inspiration isn't what you need to help get over it? Exactly. I think it could be a good tool to at least help. Right. I mean, I know, um, I don't know that any of you were there. Drum, were you at that Beyond the Gates when I did the Caridwin workshop on change? I was not. Okay. I know Amber was not. Um, so I did this workshop, and in the workshop, I tell the story of Taliesin. And I remember, I remember it, which 
is interesting because I also remember this very, very strong deific presence helping me through it. And I, and I had written out what I was going to say, and I had the whole thing planned, and I had the whole workshop worked out and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. And then what actually happened wasn't quite what I practiced. But apparently it was really, really cool because everybody said they loved it. And it was, but it was much more of a performance than I had practiced. I mean, there's points in the story when I'm talking about them shape-shifting into birds. And if you're watching this, you see it. But then I sort of like flexed my arms back like they were wings and, and like just did this whole piece of performance art. Whereas I had just planned on telling a story. You were inspired. Yeah. Work with the goddess of Awen kind of happens sometimes. See, and that experience I've had, which is weird. Um, for me, the, the I think the, the uh, maybe I should do this now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I'm like, uh, 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 um, anyway, with my ordination, um, I still don't remember a vast majority of that ritual. Drum says it was great, but I was so nervous that I had to essentially step aside and let someone else help push through that moment because I was too much in my head to do that. Um, so I did. I mean, I called to the spirits of inspiration before we started and then my son stepped in and he took my hand. He's like, mom, we're going to do this. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do this. <laughs> And then I was ordained and that was the end of the story as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> you know, so. That was a great, that was a great ordination. I mean, it was a great um, inspired moment uh, and a good combination. You know, the two of you working together was really pretty powerful. Very inspired. I'm sorry I wasn't there for it. It sounds, it sounds it was, like it was adorable. It was amazing. Yeah, I mean, my son would have been five or six at the time. And so, um, he had been part of my grove. And so we'd been part of all of our rituals and we were really active, you know, made sure kids were welcome and took part in all of our stuff. And so he decided he wanted it to be the sacrificer for the ritual. And so he made every offering through that entire rite without prompting, knew exactly which offerings went to which place, um, did all of the call and response stuff. Like he, he was amazing. I'm very proud of that little boy, but but that brings up an interesting thought, though, when we talk about inspiration and children in our rituals. So when I was back in California in our protogrove, um, one of our members had a couple of young kids and they would join us for our rituals. We started out doing rituals in his backyard. And then when we moved to another park, the kids were interested and wanted to still come and be part of the rituals. And I always find it just incredibly inspiring, cool, fun, when kids want to participate. You know, and you, you, you try to find stuff that is good for them, that works for them, and you sort of, you know, you do the parent check of, are they allowed to throw things in the fire or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Depends on the parent, depends on the kid. Um, but like being able to include them as part of our rituals. I, to me, I find that inspiring. Mm -hmm. Different kind of inspiration, but. No, I agree though. I mean, it's, 
To me, for my kids to, you know, be able to see me on stage and be proud of something I'm doing, you know, they've, they've attended a couple weddings that I've performed and stuff like that. And so for them, you know, to see their little faces like in the audience, like, hey, look, that's my mom and to like be proud of them. That's absolutely for me, something that inspires me to like speak well and to do a good job and to entertain, you know, not only the people that I'm there for, but the little humans in the crowd that I know are going to get bored real fast. So <laughs> You know, for me, that for sure helps. So go ahead. No, I'm on the subject of children, I know that my grandson, um, you know, when he was two, was you know doing things like accept this, you know, accept our offering, and because it's cool to throw things in the fire, um, <laughs> right. and he had, and he had practiced it, and he really was you know proud to do so because he was part of the right, and um, you know it's. It, it's fun to see anyone, whether they're two or 92, enjoy their part in a right. That is a very good point. That, that when you look around the circle or the square or the horseshoe, whatever shape your ritual ends up in, and folks are enjoying it, to, that is inspiring, right? Especially when I'm a celebrant and I have a part in the ritual to make sure that I'm doing my best to, to participate in the ritual, to show that I'm interested and to sort of help everybody else come along. Whereas when you look around and you, everybody's just like, oh, I'm here, I guess, I'm on my phone, whatever. Right. Right? Like, Checking their phone. <laughs> I have been in rituals where there are those surreptitious, like waist high phone checks, you know, you know they're kind of like trying to hide the fact that they're checking the phone. <laughs> those are not good rituals. No. no. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. Like, I, uh, so my very first large group ritual was actually at a festival in Michigan called Midnight Flame. Um, and it's owned by two members of ADF. It's held on a campground that is owned by two members of ADF. Let's tell the whole story and not just the part that's in my brain. Um, and they put on a, a great event to begin with, but then uh, Flip leads the ritual. And he has got a really like baritone voice anyway. Um, and I had never seen a Norse ritual ever. So they do this really cool thing where they call all nine realms as they create their space. And then they meet at the center and call to the world tree. And I remember standing in the dark around all these people that I didn't really know, hearing his voice in the darkness yell like, Yggdrasil, and just like, sobbing like instant tears like oh my god i could feel it like in my core it was the weirdest thing i'd ever experienced but it was so powerful that was like 10 years ago and i'm still like that was the best ritual i've ever been to because you can just read like he loves doing it so much and there's so much excitement and so much power behind that you can't help but just instantly fall in love with what he's doing it is it is interesting how inspiration and excitement how excitement and passion for a subject or a ritual or performance can really inspire the people who are listening and watching. I mean, I've been in rituals where, oh, oh, there was this ritual where, so up in Trout Lake Abbey, um, this is a retreat in Washington State. There is a shrine to Karanunos who is a deity that I work, work with and worship. And I happened to be there when we dedicated the shrine and was part of that ritual. 
And it was so powerful and so amazing because of the people who were running the ritual. And we had uh, Shona Ara Knight was there and did all of the music. And we had these chants going and these rounds going. And it just was, everybody was really there for the ritual. And even the people who were like, Kara, who? Who? Who's this? Who's this deity that we're worshiping? You're like, what? Some weird Gaulish guy. We don't know him. You know, like everybody got involved in this. And it was just one of these moments where you can feel that presence of the divine. You can feel that sort of that spark and that current of inspiration and awen that just flows through the entire group that's there. And it is like like that Norse ritual you went to, you just, you, you, oh, it's rare. These are not common rituals, but every now and again, you get a ritual that just hits it. I was uh, last year at Three Rivers in Canada. They dedicated a breeze shrine, and it was um, it was a sculpting, and it was um, to name a few names. Bonnie and Luke Landry were there, and they sang, and their their voices are just amazing, and it just really set the tenor for the rest of the ritual. And it was this beautifully moving, um, as you said, you know, ritual where this this um, this you know, bust of the goddess is is uh, is unveiled, and the presence of the of the divine was so strong, and just everything seemed to flow well. It was just this this moment in time where everything was just was just right. The spirits of inspiration were like everywhere and and everyone. Those are awesome rituals. They're yes, not they common. Are. I have they to are say, not. They are but not. they are amazing when they happen. So do you think in those rituals that whether the, whether the spirits of inspiration were called or not, they're there and that's why? I, I don't know that this is limited to the spirits of inspiration. This is inspiration. But some of it I think is generated from within us. Some of it is generated by that connection to the other worlds whether it's to the deities or to, to ancestors or nature spirits or whatever. But you know, when you write or you craft or you create and you sort of get into this flow and you get into this connection and stuff just kind of works. And when I'm writing, I'll write it and there'll be a ritual all of a sudden. And I'll be like, I don't know where that came from, but it just like, whoo, ritual, cool. You know, or, or I'm knitting and I get into that flow and then all of a sudden I've finished it. You know, where it just, everything just kind of works out just right. I think in that space, in that mental, spiritual, connected space, I think that's where inspiration lives. And I think the spirits of inspiration help us to connect to that. But I think that we can also get there on our own. Like, I don't know that we necessarily need a guide. I think it's sort of like how when we open the gates to the other world, that, that helps us talk to the other world, but it's not required. I think the calling spirits of inspiration helps us connect to that space, to that inspired space, but it's not required. And so... I think that in those moments of that, that 
amazing ritual. We are connected to inspiration. We are plugged in. We are part, we're in that space. Whether or not we called spirits of inspiration to help us get there. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think in those, uh, you know, in those moments, uh, those special rituals, it's kind of like you're walking a tightrope. And, you know, usually when you're walking a tightrope, you need some kind of balancing mechanism. But when the spirits of inspiration are really strong, you can just walk the tightrope without even worrying about the balance. You just walk it, and it's just all there. And, um, you know, those the, the Bree Shrine and, and the Midnight Flame Festival, which I was at uh, as well, that Amber was talking about, they just – they have their own life, a, a life to them. I mean, every ritual is alive, but um, some of them have a presence that, you know, is, is uh, much more present or much more enduring uh, that we can still talk about them years later. Uh, and it, I think it is, uh, it bolsters you. Those spirits of inspiration, you know, hold you up and, um, you know, help you to sing figuratively speaking. Or, you know, literally speaking, if you're a singer. Yes, absolutely. That wouldn't be. It's one of those episodes I don't ever want to do karaoke. No thanks. No, no, don't worry. (laughs) We are not doing a karaoke episode. It's not going to happen. I don't think I can drink enough to let people convince me to do that. So it's fine. (laughs) I've done karaoke. Don't get me wrong, but not anywhere that could be recorded. Ditto. So um, I've mentioned the term Awen, and I've talked about the fact that I work with the goddess of Awen. Uh, Awen is an important concept with the order of bards, obates, and druids. It's also an important concept with the Welsh uh, bardic, the secular Welsh bardic uh, organization, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, but it's a secular organization that actually runs the bardic uh, competitions within Wales. Is Owen the same as what we are referring to here as the spirit of inspiration? I think I've always wanted to, um, you know, accentuate the commonalities in different druidic groups and, and find those, those points of resonance and those po- those points of commonality. And I think that um, for Obad and ourselves, we meet so closely at this point of Awen and this point of inspiration that um, even if they aren't the same, when we say the words, they really kind of, they, they, they're so close that I think that we speak the same language at that point. So I don't know if they're the same, but I think they're really similar. Um, and I think that it's, if I say Awen, um, people from other traditions will say, oh, I know what that means, or I've been there. So I think it's a, it's a word that helps us express a common concept that may be a little bit different in different places, but um, has that commonality. So, I agree that, like, for me, Awen is inspiration. It is, it's not the spirit of inspiration. It is inspiration itself. And one of the things uh, I mentioned that I write, well, we all write a fair amount of prayers. Um, We have a project coming up for November that uh, sort of is in parallel with National Write and Novel Month or National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, and, um, or a 30-day novel. There's a couple of different challenges going around this year. Um, But 
Reverend Jan Avende has been running this project for a few years, which uh, she calls Prayer a Day Project. And in that project, the idea is that rather than trying to write a novel, you write a prayer every day. And I actually wrote one for inspiration for Taliesin um, that should be out by the time this podcast is out. And if you're interested in following what's going on for Prayer a Day, just check out the hashtag, hashtag Prayer a Day on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you will find folks who are doing this. So before we actually take our omen, I thought maybe it would be interesting if we called a little bit of inspiration and then did our omen. So here's the prayer that I wrote. Hail to you, Taliesin, greatest of bards. Bless my voice with inspiration. Bless my mind with clear thought. Bless my heart with compassion. May my words enliven those who hear them. May my words bring hope to those who need it. May my words inspire all around me. May your blessings be with me this day and all days. Hail Taliesin. Beautiful. Thank you. That's lovely. And now so, Amber will tell us what our omen looks like for the next few weeks. So this week I'm using the Moonology Oracle deck. It's a fun one. Um, all of the symbology of it is based on the moon, different cycles of the moon, different names of the moon, different alignments of the moon. So let's see what the moon has to say for us today, as long as I don't throw the cards all over, which I've done really good at lately. So we start with the waxing crescent moon, which tells us to have faith in your dreams. It sounds a little bit like a uh, Cinderella song, you know, a dream is a wish your heart makes type of jam. I won't sing it because nobody deserves that. Uh, the second one is the void of course moon, which says nothing will come out of this situation. <laughs> so it knows, no singing, just have faith, it's all right. And our third one is uh, the waxing moon. Energy is gaining momentum. So essentially what it's saying is that we need to believe in ourselves, believe in the things that we want to come true. Without that belief, nothing's going to happen. You have to have that faith to be able to move forward. Um, and if you can do that, you'll gain momentum and eventually things will be successful. So I think that's good stuff to keep in mind as we walk deeper into the darkest part of the year. Thank you. Thanks. I love that deck. Yeah, it's a cool deck. Very appropriate, especially with the blue moon on the 31st. Yes. So, I like this one a lot. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us again today. And I hope you, at this point, uh, have had a happy Samhain, because this will come out after Samhain, although it is before Samhain for us all. And uh, we'll see you again in a few weeks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Habianto. Thank you for joining us for today's video. If you liked this episode, be sure to like and subscribe. You can also find more episodes on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all of your favorite podcast providers. 
You can find us on social media on Facebook and Twitter, or for more information, visit our website, triscolpodcast.weebly.com.